0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Made With, a RISD student's guide to stuff. My name is Healy Slav and today I will be talking about glass, an incredible material that has been around in one form or another for more than 6,000 years. Stay tuned for a deep dive into the fascinating origins of glass. An exploration of artist Judith Schechter's gorgeous and thought-provoking stained glass masterpieces, and finally a conversation with contemporary glass artists and printmaker Coda Tuzignon. So where did glass come from? While most glass is man-made, glass can actually be found in nature. Naturally occurring obsidian glass was used by stone societies as cutting tools and weapons, Obsidian glass is formed from melted rock that is spewed out from volcanoes, and because of its rarity, was one of the first materials to be traded. Glassmaking, which is the process of making glass rather than modifying natural glass, such as obsidian, dates back at least 6,000 years. The first synthetic glass may have been created in Lebanon, Assyria, Mesopotamia, which is located in modern day Iraq, or ancient Egypt. It is difficult to know exactly where it was first created due to trade and varying climates. For example, most ancient glass artifacts have been found in Egypt, not necessarily because most of them have been created in Egypt, they could have been traded from other places, but because of the desert climate, they were able to be preserved. So, what is the earliest man-made glass object? It may surprise you to know that the earliest man-made artifact is beads. Some scholars suggest that glass beads were first created by accident, as a byproduct of metalworking or faience production. These beads were first created around 3000 BCE by mixing and then heating silica, soda, and lime. The silica was derived from crushed quartz pebbles, while the soda and lime were derived from the ash of desert plants. Ancient glassmakers also added various other materials to act as pigments, such as cobalt for dark blue. As you can imagine, a glass bead isn't an essential or functional tool, such as a knife made out of obsidian, and was used solely for the purpose of decoration. The act of decorating oneself with precious objects was a privilege reserved for the elites of society. After gemstones, which were considered the most rare and valuable, glass objects ranked next in line. While only royalty could afford precious gems such as gold and turquoise, Glass objects, which could mimic gemstones by the added pigments, were used also by non-royal members of the elite. By the Late Bronze Age, around 1600 BCE, glass production flourished, and many glassmaking centers emerged throughout the Mediterranean and Near East. Glass trade also grew in popularity, which included not only finished glass objects, but also glass ingots, which would be remelted and formed into various objects at the desired destination. Because of this popularity and the significant lower cost than precious gemstones, more people could afford glass. However, the majority of the population, which was made up of farmers, workers, and peasants, was still excluded from enjoying this material. There were two main glassmaking techniques during that time. Casting, which involved heating glass in open molds, and core forming, which was used to create vessels by coating molten glass over mud, then removing the mud to reveal a hollow form. Glass was made into pendants, jewelry, perfume containers, bottles, and many other objects. Recipes and instructions for glass production were highly treasured. In fact, the first glassmaking manual that we know of is in the form of cuneiform tablets, which were created around 650 BCE as part of an Assyrian king's library. During this time, Greek glassmakers began experimenting with translucent glass, and by the Hellenistic period, around the 3rd century BCE, mosaic glass emerged and was used to create enlazoned vessels. Glass tableware then began to flourish. Glassblowing, perhaps the most well-known glassmaking technique today, hasn't changed much since its invention in the 1st century BCE by Syrian glassblowers, who then developed the process of glass blowing into molds. This was revolutionary and made glass production cheaper, easier, and more accessible. Since then, various glassmaking processes and techniques have spread all over the world. Cultures in modern-day Iran, India, China, Europe, and Africa, specifically the Kingdom of Benin, have developed their own unique glassmaking traditions. One form of glassmaking which you may be familiar with is stained glass, which flourished in medieval Europe. It was an essential architectural feature in Romanesque and Gothic churches, and was used not only as a decoration, but also as a tool to educate the mostly illiterate population about Christian morals and biblical stories. Since its peak in the medieval period, stained glass art has steadily declined. This is where contemporary artist Judith Schechter comes in. Schechter is single-handedly reviving European stained glass imagery and techniques while still finding ways to innovate and advance this unique art form. She is based in Philadelphia, where she has maintained her studio practice since graduating from RISD's glass BFA program in 1983. Although originally trained as a painter, she fell in love with glassmaking, which is what prompted her to pursue glass at RISD. Her work has been shown all over the world, including the Venice Biennale in 2012, the Whitney Biennial in 2002, and is in collections at the Met in New York, the Smithsonian, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, and many more. Her work has also been featured in numerous publications and textbooks, and has received prestigious grants and awards. In addition to her studio practice, Schechter has taught at various institutions, including the Pilchuck Glass School, the Penland School of Crafts, and at RISD. Her work can be described as hauntingly beautiful and maybe even a little creepy. She works almost exclusively in glass and is most well known for her stained glass windows and light boxes. Her work deals with Christian and Jewish mythology as well as contemporary psychological themes. Although the narratives she depicts have historically overlooked women, Schechter mostly depicts female figures and reinserts them in the historical narrative. She gives them complexity and depth, which was previously lacking in their depictions. Her site-specific piece, titled The Battle of Carnival and Lent, whose title is borrowed from a painting by Peter Bruegel the Younger, is one of 17 works that were created in dialogue with the Eastern State Penitentiary, and were installed there in 2012. Through these pieces, the artist responded to both the architecture and the history of this Philadelphia landmark. The Battle of Carnival and Lent personifies the struggle between pleasure and human suffering. Schechter's press release explains, Dancing on the psychological border between spiritual aspiration and human suffering, the artist questions the association of an environment of confinement and reflection in the name of self-betterment and the harsh realities of the physical experience of imprisonment. She's speaking about the prisons we all encounter, be they mental or physical. This piece depicts 96 weird, colorful figures, ranging from clowns to priests and everyone in between, who are engaged in an epic battle between vice and virtue. It is important to mention that up until this point, most of her pieces centered on only one figure. Although the scene was borrowed from medieval Christianity, the scenes are deeply relevant to our current issues. Even in our day-to-day life, we are constantly battling between our will, our desires, and our choices. This piece, like many other artworks by Schechter, contains complex narratives that are purposefully open to infinite interpretations by the viewer. She is interested in the notion of truth and believes that it is the viewer's role to give the piece meaning rather than the artist's role. Schechter is only interested in the creation of the work and does not force upon it a singular narrative. Another fascinating feature in Judith Schechter's work is the way she perfectly combines both craft and concept. Although her pieces are highly detailed, and some might say flawless, they don't take away from the themes that she is dealing with, rather they merge perfectly. Schechter is also interested in notions of beauty, specifically deep beauty versus superficial beauty. She is unapologetic in her desire to create beautiful images, and she uses this beauty as a tool to deal with difficult subject matter. In her own words, Beauty is what has always captured the viewer's attention and allows them to spend time with my work. Once involved, it is easier for them to read the content held just below the surface. In a video interview for Claire Oliver, Schechter described her desire to make bad things good, taking a negative subject matter and making it beautiful, a sort of remedy through decoration. Because Schechter's stained glass pieces are overflowing with an abundance of masterful details and visual elements, they can be overwhelming at first glance. This compels the viewer to really take their time with the work and come back multiple times. Judith Schechter is truly a master artist and craftsman whose dedication to glass as an art form is unmatched. Speaking of unmatched dedication, I'd like to turn this conversation over to a dear friend of mine. I am now joined with award-winning glass artist and printmaker, Coda Tuzignan. Hi, Coda. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Helislaw. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to talk with you a little bit about your glass practice. Yeah, Um, of course. Yeah, so to start things off, what first drew you to glass? Well, I chose
1: glass at RISD because, honestly... Well, for two reasons. First reason was to impress a girl. The second reason was um, because I just told myself how often would I ever have access to a glass studio. And it was freshman year and I just needed to choose a winter session class, so I chose glass. And from there on, it just it clicked and it worked out. Thank goodness for that.
0: And you, so you stuck with it until now. Until, until the end, the very end. And you see yourself continuing with glass. Honestly now I I consider
1: glass the primary material in which I form my format my practice around. I mean even in, just in the glass department. We're a very like conceptually based department, more so than craft based. And it pushed me into really considering the materials I chose more than just glass even down to the nails or like the yarn I would use to because I I did a lot of crocheting my sophomore year like
0: everything needs to be considered and the glass department really taught me that. Mm -hmm. And do you combine your glass practice with your printmaking practice or do you see them as two separate things?
1: No, they're both my practices. I feel I use my printmaker brain a lot in glass um, they very much interconnect and a lot of my a lot of the way this that I move around my glass is in the way that a printmaker would move around their prints um, like I had a project where I would make glass castings while they were still hot I would print um, the the impressions from the casting on papers to create multiples to still I still have very much in my brain to create a series there needs to be a perfect series that ends up out of it and that comes from my base in printmaking Mm
0: -hmm. and do you feel like learning new processes and techniques in glass changed or influenced your concepts
1: not really I think it just gave me a new avenue to um speak on them Mm -hmm. a rather than having consistently 2d art i was able to expand and allow my ideas to exist in a three-dimensional space an interactive space Mm -hmm. i think that was very important for me
0: um and can you speak a little bit about the types of concepts that you deal with in your work. Maybe we should have started with that earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, most of my work right now revolves all around my Québécois identity and um, being Franco-Canadian, despite um, pushback from Anglo-Canadians and just the um, violent histories that uh, are at the base of this identity and. I very specifically have been maneuvering my work around the 70s October crisis um, and around my family history in context to this um, struggle between francophones and anglophones.
0: And for those of us that aren't really familiar with working with glass and the types of techniques that can be used, could you describe to us some of the ways that you do work with glass? I primarily do sand castings
1: um, which is essentially you have a big metal spoon and you go into the glass furnace and you scoop up the glass before pouring it into um, a bat of sand that you've previously formed. Um, I also recently in my practice I've been very interested in um, plate glass as a material so I've been manipulating it both in the hot shop picking it up and forming it into dish towels, but I've also been playing around with it in the kilns where I've been slumping it, which just means bringing it up to a very high temperature to allow the glass to drape. Um, I've been slumping them on nails and different um, objects. All all of my work right now is like a pursuit of like, a, ver- a dangerous matrix. It's verging on a replica, but a replica that
0: is not tangible are there any things that you would like to continue working on in the future or how do you see maybe your glass practice evolving after RISD?
1: well that's complicated that i mean a lot of the glass department's really freaking out about it right now because glass is it's so hard to have access to a glass studio mm. um so of course my glass patches will morph with time hopefully i will have access to the shops that I need access to but the reality of the situation is I will only really find out when I'm when I enter a post-RISD world.
0: That is a real struggle for current glass artists because without resources you can't really do.
1: Without resources and also our resources are um, closing down with Russia's holding back a lot of gas so it's closing down a lot of shops especially Venetian Um, heritage shops and it's, it's very, very hard to maintain a glass studio. It needs a lot of energy and it's not very eco-friendly. And so as the world shifts into late stage, environmental crisis, it, glass shops are becoming rare.
0: And just to circle back, I want to ask about your artistic relationship to Judith Schechter. What interests you about their work?
1: Well, I met Judith last summer. She interests me as an artist because she is very upfront about what she makes. She loves to depict people in the most grotesque manners in these beautiful stained glass windows within all the history of stained glass. Judith reformats it into um, the grotesque, into a, a... depiction of humans at their lowest and that conversation that happens between both material and subject matter has been something that I've I've been trying to confront more and more in my art and talking to her as an amazing woman has been a pleasure
0: Well, Coda, thank you so much for joining me and for having this conversation. And I look forward to following your work as your career blossoms.
1: Yes, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.